Welcome to Joint Heirs in Granada Hills. This is our Bible study podcast in partnership with the Joint Heirs Fellowship Group at Grace Community Church. Well, it's just, uh, again, it's just such a, a, a blessing to be able to be here with you all and to open up God's Word and to study the book of Philippians. We've been in the book of Philippians for... Um, a few months, several months now, I think, and it's just been a joy to be able to really learn from the Apostle Paul, learn how it is that he is viewing God's sovereignty in the midst of his difficult circumstances, the way in which he is so joyful in the midst of hard times. Um, It's been encouraging to see his call for unity of the church. Um, and as I had said several months ago, one of the earlier times we had come together, I just think that the book of Philippians is very timely uh, for us. I mean, all of Scripture is timely for us. It's all relevant. Uh, but it just seems as if that the book of Philippians really addresses a lot of the things that um, we are all dealing with. And so before we start tonight, here's what I want to do. I thought that would be sort of encouraging for all of us and um, and... Uh, you know, iron sharpening iron. I want to hear from you all. Um, I want to I hear from any of you that would want to share in regards to something that you have been meditating upon or thinking about from the book of Philippians that we have covered so far. Is there something that you have found yourself going back to thinking about um, that has been encouraging to you, challenging to you, that you would want to share with others here as an encouragement to us? And if a few people share, then I'll sort of share what has been on my heart. Is there, Abigail has something to say. <laughs> Is there anybody that wants to share something that has been in their mind from Philippians chapter 1 over the course of the last few months? You know, one thing Rachel and I had talked about uh, just a few days ago, and I'll challenge you guys with the, the same thing as well. Um, sometimes we just get in a, a mode where we, we come to Bible study, we hear what's being taught, we take our notes, and sometimes we do this on Sunday mornings too, or Sunday evenings. We go and we listen to a sermon, and we take our notes, and then we leave, and then we never talk about it again. And we were just talking about how we wanted to challenge each other more with bringing up the things that we've talked about in the past as a reminder Because again, the reason why we come together and study God's word is not so that we would just be filled with knowledge, but it was actually so that we would change our lives and live accordingly. So I would challenge uh, you guys with that as well. Anybody want to share anything? Kate? Yeah, okay, so I've missed the last two messages. Okay, that's fine. So my, my, what I remember is going to be a little, like, outdated. No, it's totally fine. Yeah. Anything from Philippians? Well, okay, so the last message that I heard was on... uh, I think verse uh, 110. So something that like really stuck with me, it's kind of a small thing, but uh, I liked how Brian explained discernment because uh, something that I never saw in there before was that it, it defines discernment as approving what is excellent. And I think sometimes I get a skewed view of discernment as like discernment saying like, oh, that's evil. Mm-hmm. Or like discernment being like calling out like everything that's bad. Mm-hmm. But it's actually saying discernment is like identifying what's good 
Mm-hmm. So it's like more the positive side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, or sometimes for me, in regards to discernment, I just think of discernment as, well, there's things that I should do and shouldn't do. And I need discernment in order to figure out what I should do and what I shouldn't do. But yeah, discernment is approving what is excellent. So it's actually identifying things that are honorable to God. It's not necessarily just things that we do, but it's things that are honorable and pleasing to God or the opposite of that as well. Great. Thank you, Kate. Anyone else? Yeah, Bill. three things in here real quick. Yeah. Um, well, just last week, I think. But uh, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. That's like about as hopeful as it gets. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's amazing. I remember that. You know, I, uh, it's a blessing. Yeah. You know, to die is gain. Mm-hmm. And then um, <clears throat> on my daily journey outside of church, when I'm out and about, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Mm-hmm. When I remember that. Doing the Lord's will, I think. Mm-hmm. But I remember that, not from selfishness, or, you know. And the the other thing is, I try to remember when I'm out there during the week is do all things without grumbling or disputing. Yes. Yeah. Just, just be grateful. Yeah. Humility, but be grateful. Good. Things around us. Yeah. He really helped me live life. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul really talks about his circumstances and in the first chapter, and part of his circumstances are that he's. He's in prison, and he recognizes that he may never get out, and he may die. But his desire is is that he's going to go back to the church of Philippi and to teach them and equip them and continue to strive together with them. But he recognizes, I I may die, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to continue on living, then I'm just going to keep living for Christ. That's my life's ambition. And if I can't do that anymore, it's actually going to be better for me. Because I'm going to die and I'm going to be in heaven with him. And then, yeah, the, the practical things about being grateful, uh, not grumbling, but also doing things with humility. Uh, that's that's going to be later down the road as Paul starts to then exhort the church um, and, telling, and exhorting us, telling us how we are to live our lives. So those are some things to come. Yeah. Anybody else? Maybe one more? Yeah, Captain. Yeah, Philippians 1.6. Uh, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I often, in my day-to-day life, kind of just, uh, I'm on autopilot or something, and I have to remind myself that, you know, God does not lie, you know, it, this is all truth, and it says in here that he will perfect this. You know? mm-hmm. So it's a great, it was great encouragement to me to remember that. Yeah. Even during the hard times, that he's still perfecting us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, the Lord is actively involved in our Christian walk. Um, he started it, he's sustaining it, and he's going to complete it all the way to the end. And yeah, Philippians 1.6 is a great encouragement in that regard, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances when we think to ourselves, how in the world am I going to be able to, to press on? Uh, the Lord is, is working in us, and he's going to complete it. Great. Well, one thing that has been really sort of on my mind as we've been uh, studying Philippians chapter 1 is really the the verses that we're going to be starting in the next few studies. Uh, We have, as I said just a minute ago, we have seen uh, Paul lay out his circumstances. Actually, at the very beginning, he's greeting the, the church at Philippi. 
He's telling them how grateful he is for them and grateful for the partnership that he has in the, in the gospel with them. And then he goes on to lay out his circumstances. He loves the Philippian church. They're dear friends of his, and he wants them to know what's going on. And he has this great outlook, like, yes, I'm in prison, but my imprisonment has led to the advance of the gospel. And uh, then he goes and talks further about his circumstances, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He makes it crystal clear that he's not really concerned about um, his struggles. Uh, he recognizes that God is involved in it, and he recognizes that if God will allow him to continue to do his work, it's going to be for, for God's glory, for the sake of Christ. But if the Lord were to call him home, it's gain. And then we come to these verses that we're at tonight. We're going to be in verses 20, just verse 27 is what we're going to study tonight. Um, and it's really a transition period. You'll notice that at the beginning of chapter 1, all the way through to where we are here in 27, you're going to see a lot of Paul talking about himself. It's me and I and my circumstances. And there's, a, there's very little you. I mean, he, he does talk about the Philippians a little bit. But all of a sudden in 27, there's a transition where we're, we're seeing him focusing more upon the Philippian church. Um, he's basically saying, listen, I don't want you to worry about what's going on with me. I need to get to what's going on with you. And it sort of marks a transition. And this transition, and really from verses 27 to 30, um, some would say is really the heart and soul of this whole book. It's sort of Paul laying out what he wants to accomplish in the rest of his book, or in the rest of this letter to the Philippians. And so we come to verse 27, and he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul here makes it very clear that he wants the Philippian church to live a certain way. He wants them to focus on the way in which they live their life. And we know that we know that all scripture is God breathed, and it is profitable for training, for reproof for correction, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate for every good work, okay? All scripture. So although Paul is talking to the Philippians here in verse 27, these things have application for us too. Paul, his words are exhorting us to live our life in a certain way. Uh, you guys have heard from Pastor John on Sunday mornings. He's been in Philippians. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Walk in a worthy manner, right? Um, and he has said over and over again that our life should match our theology. The way in which we live our life should line up with what we say we believe, right? Our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy should be in alignment. If you say that you believe certain things about God, about Christ, about the Bible, about salvation, about sin, then that means the way in which you live your life should reflect what you say you believe. That, that makes good sense. 
And so Paul, here in Philippians 27, 1.27, is, is doing something similar. And he starts off with this word, only. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's interesting because that word only in Greek is placed at the very beginning of the sentence. It's very emphatic. Essentially what Paul is saying is, here's my circumstances. I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm okay to live as Christ, to die as gain. But here's what I want you to focus on. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want you to be focused on this, Philippian church. I want you to be focused on the way in which you're living your life. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about my circumstances. I'm okay. Focus upon how you are to live in light of what's going on, in light of what you say that you believe. And he starts to talk about this worthy life, this worthy walk. Um, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Now, this word, conduct yourselves, is not like, it's not like walk. It's not like in Ephesians 4.1, it says, walk in a worthy manner. It's actually interesting. He uses a word that means sort of citizenship. He's saying, live as a good citizen. Live as a good citizen. And it's interesting because, as we talked about at the very beginning of Philippians, the city of Philippi is a very patriotic they're a Roman colony, and they love being Romans. And they are, they are coming off of the heels of a very uh, major political battle, and the empire has expanded. And the people of Philippi love being Roman citizens. And in the midst of that Roman colony, there's the church. And he uses this word about citizenship that would sort of ring true to what everybody else is doing around them. They're being good Roman citizens, but he's saying, I want you to be good citizens of the kingdom of God. I want you to be good citizens of heaven. I want you to be good citizens as Christians. I want you to conduct your life, live your life in a manner worthy. Live in a worthy way. I want us to, to pause here. What does it mean to live in a worthy way? When we come across this verse, or when we come across Ephesians 4.1, where it says, walk in a worthy manner, what does that mean? Um, does it mean moral integrity? That's kind of what I think about. When I see verses like this, walk in a worthy manner, I think of moral integrity and moral uprightness. Well, I don't think that that really is what it means. Because you can live a moral life, right? And still not be living worthy of the gospel, right? There are many false religions out there that teach moralism. And people will lead good lives externally. And they would say the right things. They would be kind. They would be hospitable. They would be generous. They would help you if you're on the side of the road with a flat tire. They're going to donate to charity. They're going to live moral lives. But is that a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I, I don't quite think that moral living, moral integrity, sort of encompasses what Paul is meaning here. I think that's part of it. I mean, we're certainly not supposed to live immoral lives, right? 
Again, you know, our life should line up with what we say we believe. But it's not just being moral. So what does it mean to, to live a life worthy of the gospel? Does that mean... Oh, Shelly Ann, share maybe, something. Maybe yeah. being selfless, combined with being moral. Moral. Not selfless. Selfless. Yes. Because we know Jesus Christ, he gave everything for us. Mm-hmm. Right? And he says, I always do the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. And the Father and I are one, and I lay down my life. So everything that he experienced was not because it was for him. Mm-hmm. It was for us. Yes. So living a life that is selfless, sometimes it's easy to walk away and say, but it's hard to do something for someone else when it requires not just your money or being good or being moral, but really putting in the effort and the time. Mm-hmm. That might be prayer, that might be sitting next to someone um, and just being there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I believe you're right. I think that's exactly right. Um, and as a matter of fact, Paul's going to go on into chapter 2 and tell us about how we are supposed to be selfless. Um, so I think it's exactly right. Um, to say worthy, walk in a worthy manner, it, it can't mean, well, do we earn the gospel? So I have to walk in a way in which I am worthy to receive the gospel. I need to walk in such a way in which I can earn God's favor and salvation. That can't be it either, right? Because by works of the law, no man can be justified. You could never live your life in such a way where God would look at you and say, you know what, you've done a good enough job, so I'm going to give you salvation. That's not how it works. And to say that you have... To say, you know what, I, I do lead an upright life. And I'm, I'm a relatively good person. Um, you know, I'm not like, you know, murderers in my town. And I'm not, you know, cheating on my taxes. Or I'm not doing these things that all these other people around me are doing. So, yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, they're not worthy and I'm not. You know who you sound like? You sound like the Pharisee who's in the temple with the tax collector that says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And Jesus says about that man, what? That man didn't go home justified, but who did? The tax collector. And what did the tax collector say? We know? He prayed, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. The tax collector knew that he wasn't worthy, that he didn't deserve anything good. He only deserved judgment. And yet Christ said, he's the one that goes home justified. So walking in a worthy manner cannot mean just simply moral integrity because you can be moral and still be outside of Christ. It does not mean that you're walking in a manner as if you're earning God's favor because you never can. No, to walk in a worthy manner simply means suitable. To walk suitable. If you, Bill, go ahead. How about I throw this in there? Okay. How about um, walking in that worthy manner? about walking in a way that would glorify, live our lives in a way of always doing our very best to glorify God. Yes. In, in our thoughts, in our deeds. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I would say that would be suitable. Because if you say that you are a Christian, that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, that you don't deserve anything good, but you only deserve God's wrath, and yet God has been merciful to you and saved you, then it would be suitable for you to say, well, I'm going to do everything I can to honor and glorify God. I know I can't earn his favor, 
And I, I know that I don't deserve his favor, but God has been kind to me. And therefore, I want to do anything I can to magnify his name to other people. That's suitable. That's living a life worthy of the gospel or suitable of the gospel. Does everybody understand where I'm going with that? So he starts to outline this, this desire. He says, I want you to live a life that's suitable with what you say about the gospel, what you say about your Christian walk. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, we need to see, Paul does not answer the question, how do we do that? He doesn't say, walk in a worthy manner, suitable of the gospel, and this is how you do that. He, he does, but not in this section. What he does now is he starts to show you what it looks like. He starts to show you what it looks like. He doesn't say how you accomplish it. He's like, walk in a worthy manner. This is what it looks like. But as we move through the rest of the epistle, he's going to show us how we do it. Okay? So, um, and he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then here's an interesting phrase. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent. Okay? So he's, he's telling the Philippian church, I want you to live your life suitable for the gospel regardless of whether or not I'm there, which makes sense. It's interesting because if you flip over to chapter 2, flip over to chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul here tells us that the Philippian church have, they have been obedient to his desires. They have been obedient to the word of God, even in his absence. But it's just a good reminder for us. It's, it's a good place to sort of stop and think, am I living my life consistently no matter who's around me? When you leave here tonight and you get in your car with your spouse and your children, are you going to act the same way around them as you do here in this room? When you go to work and you're sitting next to the coworker who may be speaking vile things and telling horrible jokes, are you going to act the same way around him as you do here? Do your kids see that you're living double lives? That you act a certain way in the living room but you act totally different when you're sitting in the worship center on Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters, may that not be. May we be consistent all the way through, regardless of who is present in our life. We need to walk in a manner suitable of the gospel consistently no matter who is around us. Are you consistent? I want you to think about that. So, what does that look like? What does it look like to walk in a manner suitable of the gospel? He goes on, you know, whether, I am, whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Oh, sorry, I'm hearing my daughter cry. I'm just making sure that she's got the diaper bag or whatnot. Sorry. Um, so that whether I come or see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. This word, standing firm, is sort of like a, it's a military term. 
in a sense. Um, it's sort of an athletic term. It means to stand strong. It's to be committed to your convictions and your beliefs. You're not wavering. You're not teeter-tottering. If, if you are living a life suitable of the gospel, then you know what you believe. And you know why you believe what you believe those things. Why you believe those things. You're strong in your convictions. It says standing firm in one spirit. I'm curious to know how many of your Bibles have spirit capitalized. Anybody have that capitalized or is it all lowercase? All lowercase. Well, okay. How many NAS users, NASB users in here? Is anybody using something other than NAS? ESV. ESV? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> this will be interesting. I think this is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Standing firm in one spirit. One spirit meaning the Holy Spirit. Here's why I believe that. Number one, I think that's the only spirit we can share. I, you can't share my spirit. I can't share your spirit. We are spirit being, beings. We are body and spirit. There's something immaterial about us. That's the immaterial part that will one day be with the Lord. When he, he's going to give us a new body as well. So we can't share that spirit. So that's one reason why I think that. And additionally, the word here, spirit, is pneuma. It's where we get the word pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. And if you look down in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, now that's capitalized. That's the same word. It's pneuma. Um, and then if you go to verse 2, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit. Different word. It's a different word. It's not that it's just lowercase. It's not, it's not pneuma. It's a totally different word. So Paul says pneuma in verse 27. He goes to verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It's clearly talking about fellowship of the Spirit because it's, there's a definite article there. So that's definitely the Holy Spirit. He's using the same word. And then if we go over to chapter 4, Four, verse 1 therefore my beloved brethren whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord it's almost a same it's a same command how do you stand firm in the Lord how can we all stand firm in the Lord it's only by what the Holy Spirit so when he says, we can go back to 127, when he says that we need to stand firm in the Spirit, I believe that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What does it look like when we all stand together firm in the Holy Spirit? So for this, I want to turn over to 1 John chapter 4. Let's flip over to 1 John chapter 4. And if somebody would be willing to read for me verses 1 through 6. 
Would someone be willing to read verse 1 through 6, 1 John 4? Yeah, go ahead. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh uh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. We are from God. The one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Thank you. Is it Daniel? David. David. Close. I had a 50-50 shot. Okay. Thank you, David. So here in this section, John tells us what it's like to be of the Spirit. He tells the, the believers to don't just believe every spirit that says that they're from God, but test the spirits. And how do we know whether or not someone is of the Spirit of God? Well, some of the things that are outlined here are that we believe essential truths about Christ. He says anybody who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, um, that's important. Uh, believing essential truths about Christ. And I would say it goes on even further than the fact that he came in the flesh. John is just a addressing a particular false teaching of the time. But we need to believe essential truths about God as a whole. I mean, we need to believe essential truths about Scripture. We need to believe essential truths about salvation. Um, it's not just about, you know, whether or not Jesus came in the flesh. Uh, we need to believe essential truths about Christ. That's how we are united in spirit. Uh, we need to reject the wisdom of the world. We could never be united in the spirit if some of us are relying upon the wisdom of the world and not relying upon the wisdom of God. It can't happen. Because the wisdom of the world rejects the wisdom of God, and vice versa. The wisdom of the world is fleeting and failing, and it's not true. It's, that's the spirit of error, as described here in 1 John 4. And then also, we need to believe the teaching of the apostles. Um, we are from God. This is verse 6. He who knows God listens to us. We listen to the testimony of Scripture. We don't need to go to whoever, whatever scientists or whatnot to know the truth, we can, we can come to the word of God and we believe that God spoke uh, by the Spirit to these writers and is communicating his truth to us. This is how, according to John, in this one section, how we can live by the Spirit. Now, that's not a comprehensive overview of what it looks like to live by the Spirit, but that's just some, that's some ways in which we are united in the Spirit. We are united in the Spirit because we believe essential truths about God, about His Word, as taught through the Word. We go to the Word for this instruction, and we're reject rejecting the wisdom of this world. But also, another example we could go to, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, Paul says, if we're living by the Spirit, then we are fighting the deeds of the flesh. We're fighting the deeds of the flesh because we don't live by the flesh anymore. We live in accordance with the Spirit. So we are united in Spirit 
when we are uniting together to fight against the deeds of our flesh. We're asking our brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you struggling? What are some sins or some temptations that you're facing right now? We should be humble enough to tell our brothers and sisters, you know, I've really been struggling with um, worry. I've really been struggling with anxiety and trusting God. I've really been struggling with bitterness towards a particular family member. And we do these things because we're fighting against the deeds of the flesh. We're wanting to be united in spirit. So that's just a, a, a picture of, of what it means to be united in spirit. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 now. Any comments at this point? Just while I'm turning the page. Any? Can I ask? Or, yeah. Um, you were mentioning, you know, being one one way in one place and another. Does it also here say of, like it's active, right? Like I'm looking at standing, striving together in the faith of the gospel, right? And just being mindful that the verb is something that we're intentionally doing, not just, um, how do I put it? Like to be doing it one way here and another would be to be active in it constantly, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a continual... Yeah, Peace. you're exactly right. The verb is standing firm in one spirit. That is a present active verb, meaning that you are currently doing it, presently right now, and you're going to continue to do it. Uh, and the second, that is actually not a present active, it's a participle. So <laughs> we won't get into Greek or anything. Okay. But, the, but it, it absolutely is communicating that... Yeah, you're going to live consistently in all avenues of your life. And if you are living one way in front of one person and another way in front of a different person, then you aren't being consistent or constant in that. You're starting and stopping. But he's saying that you need to always be like this. Great. Yeah, that's a very uh, a good point, Deanna. Um, Pastor John was preaching on Ephesians this past Lord's Day. And he ended the sermon with just starting, I think, just touching upon Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, where Paul says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Um, do you think there's a, there's a correlation here with that once for all delivered truth? That there's not any, there's not anything other than this one truth, mm-hmm. one God, one spirit, yeah. and the church is to be united under that one mm-hmm. absolute truth and conduct our lives accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a correlation, and it makes sense that there would be a correlation because um, <clears throat> yeah, we all as Christians everywhere should be united regardless. So Paul doesn't change his message of what he says to the Ephesians and then changes it to what he says to the Colossians and then changes it to the Philippians. He's consistent all the way through. You need to be united. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and you all should be walking in a worthy manner of that. Absolutely. They are connected. So he says, walking in a manner suitable, worthy of the gospel, that's consistent, no matter who you're in front of, it's standing firm in the Holy Spirit. We are united through, by God, by God the Spirit. And we've examined what that looks like. But then he says, with one mind, striving together. With one mind. Um, 
This is another interesting word. Mind is the word suke, which is where we get the word psyche or psychology. But it doesn't just mean mind. Um, look down in chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's not suke. Maintaining same love, united in spirit. That is suke. Isn't that interesting? How the words change there? It's, it's not just uh, the way that we think. All right, um, I need four, well, let's just do three. I need three people to volunteer to read uh, one verse uh, in other places. I need somebody to go to Acts chapter 14. Alex, can you go to Acts chapter 14, and you will read verse 2 and verse 22. I need somebody to go to Colossians chapter 3. Yes, Daniel. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, you're going to read verse 23. And then I need somebody to go to Matthew chapter 6. Kate, can you go to Matthew chapter 6 and read verse 25? Okay. Alex, could you read Acts 14.2? But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Right. Stirred up the minds of the Gentiles. Suke, that's that word. All right, can you go to verse 22? Strengthening, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Suke, same word. All right, someone go to Colossians 3, 23. Yeah, Daniel. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily. Heartily is the same word, in your heart. With, with all your affections. Okay, great. And then Matthew 6.25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will uh, eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. All right. Matthew, or sorry, Jesus says in Matthew, don't be worried about your life. Suke, it's the same word. So we see the same word translated multiple ways throughout the New Testament. So it's not just mind. It's not just the way you think. It's your soul. It's, it's your heart. It's your life. It is sort of the seat of all of your emotions. It's everything inside of you that makes you who you are internally. That's what's, at, that's what's in the thoughts here in, in this word. Okay? So when Paul says be of the same mind, it's not simply saying you guys need to think the, way, the same way. I mean, that's part of it. But no, you should love the same things. You should have passion for the same things. You should have aspirations and desires for the same things. You should, have, you should be of one life. That's what it looks like to be walking in a, in a suitable manner of the gospel. If we were all just divisive and we're all going our own way, we all have different passions, we all have different desires. Um, and now, granted, we, we all do in some aspects have different interests, but... As Christians, we should all strive together for the purpose of the gospel. And that's exactly what this verse is talking about. We should be excited about missions that are going on all over the world. We should be sorrowful for people in our church that are sorrowful. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. We should, as we have mentioned in previous verses before, we should be excited about gospel advancement. I mean, these are all of our passions. Shelly, you were going to say something. 
relate that to loving God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul? You know, when he says love, your whole being, mm -hmm. that's your mind, your body, yes. you know, your passion. Yeah. Because if someone, one of your brothers or sisters are hurting, you hurt with them, right? And when they ask for prayer, you want to come alongside them, pray with them, and for them. Mm -hmm. You know? So that, that being, your whole, your essence, your everything in you is striving that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It, I mean, that is exactly what's being expressed there. With all of our being, we should love God. The thing is that's really incredible about that is we can't. No. We can't. We can't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We fall short of that all the time. And that's the command. Here in this particular verse, it's just telling us that we should be united in more than just the way that we think. We should be united in, in what we feel. We should be united in our purpose. We should be united in our desires. Mm -hmm. it, it's really the mind, the heart, and the will. Right? We should think the same way. We should feel the same way. And we should want to live the same way. That's what's being expressed here with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. I mean, okay, one of, one of my interests, I, I like sports. I like football. It's one of my favorite sports. And there is a difference between college football and professional football. And um, it seems as if in college football, the guys are about the team. They're, they're working together. They're in the weight room at 5 in the morning together, working together, sweating together. They're going through the same struggles on, on the practice field together. When the coach gets mad, he gets mad at all of them. And, and they go out there and they, they feel victory together, they celebrate together, and they feel the hard losses together. It's their mind, their heart, and their will are together. They're fighting for the team. But then sometimes when you move over to the professional sports, now they've arrived, and they don't really care about the team anymore. They're, they're carry, they care more about themselves. They are wanting to just make more money. And so if the team loses, no big deal. I'll just get a trade and I'll go somewhere else. It's no longer about the team. It's more about themselves. We, we can't live that way as Christians. We're a team. We're all in this together. It would be something similar to a, you know, a, a military. All of them are working together for the same mission, for the same goal, trying to accomplish the same things, if all of them were different in their mind, heart, and will, it wouldn't work. They would lose the battle. We can't be like that. As Christians, we need to be united in these things. That's what it means to conduct our lives in a manner that's suitable for the gospel. But the thing is, is like, we're not, we're not striving to win a game. We're not striving to win a battle. We're striving together for the purpose of the gospel. When we come together, that's what we're doing. This, this is an exercise of that, of us striving together for the purpose of the gospel. We come together because we want to study God's word, we want to understand it for ourselves, and we want to apply it to our lives. Again, this is not a mental exercise. We want to go out. We need to go out from this place and live according to it. We need to be challenging one another as you go from day to day. 
What did we talk about in Bible study? What did we talk about in the sermon on Sunday? What did we talk about at you know, Wednesday night or whatever it is? Because we are of the same heart, the same mind, the same will. We need to be pushing each other and encouraging one another. We need to help our brothers and sisters fight against the deeds of the flesh. Help them weed out sin in their life. We have to be, again, humble enough to express the sin in our own lives and repent of it. That's what it means to strive together. And we do this no matter what, even in light of persecution and trials. And that's exactly where we're going to go next time. In verse 28, that we are to strive together, walk in a worthy manner of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. That's what we're going to talk, study next time when we come together. How do we strive together for the purpose of the gospel even in the midst of suffering and sorrow? Yeah, yeah. let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have in your word tonight. Thank you for <coughs> encouraging us, challenging us uh, to walk in a way that is suitable of the gospel. God, we, we oftentimes, many times, a majority of the times, don't walk this way. We continually fall short of your standards we are not worthy of the gospel we could never earn it we could never achieve it we aren't simply striving to live a moral life although you do desire good morals and integrity but lord we are striving to live our life in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you Lord, we pray that as we continue the study in Philippians that you will teach us how to do that. We have already talked about how you are going to command us, you, you do command us, to be humble. To not think highly of ourselves, but to embody the person of Christ, to be like Christ, who emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. You are going to instruct us. You do instruct us to, to not grumble and complain. You instruct us to not do anything out of selfish ambition, but to think of others more importantly than ourselves. This is what it looks like to, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would unite us in spirit. And that you would unite us in our minds and our hearts and our wills. I pray that this group would just grow closer and closer and closer together as we study these things because that's what you want for our lives. This, is, this isn't a mental exercise where we're going to come together and take an exam in order to pass a test. Lord, we come together because this is, this is where you're molding us and shaping us. This is where you are fashioning us into the person of Christ. May we never forget that. May we challenge our spouses. May we challenge our children. May we challenge our friends.
as we go from here to live out the things that we are learning. And Lord, we can't do this apart from your work in our life. We ask that you would enable us to do so. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.